0: every once in a while somebody will ask me a question Charlie where do you come up with the titles for your sermons I want to explain something about me I really struggle in terms of writing out my sermon and one of the, the most challenging parts for me is coming up with titles here's what you really need to know Every sermon I preach really has only one point. (laughs) Really, that's it. I just try to figure out ways to lead you to understand what it is I've found in the Scriptures. And coming up with titles is the worst of the challenges for me. Take this one. Now, this morning, um, it has been um, played out in front of me. On a couple of occasions, back before things really began, Ron asked me a question because of what he was engaged in with his son Cody, and he said um, something. Ron, what was it about the great joy? Do you remember? <laughs> I do. Is it is it wrong that one of a parent's greatest joys is to bug their kids I said well better not be because <laughs> I like it and it's not my greatest joy but it's one of my joys and then within two minutes I was coming up here to say hello to Jen and her, da- her dad shoved a chair into her and she shoved it back And it was playful. And as I approached, he said, did you see that? She shoved that chair into me. And I said, yes, I did. And she felt betrayed. And I said, but I also saw him shove the chair into you. And so then she realized, the all-seeing... No... (laughs) We enjoy getting under people's skin, don't we? I mean we we do. There aren't too many of us that don't find a little bit of pleasure of needling someone, ribbing someone. We have lots of expressions for this, don't we? We like to get under people's skin. Sometimes it's not in a playful manner, is it? Sometimes we want to get under person's skin because, well, maybe we're tired of the way that they behave toward us, or maybe we just don't like the way they look. We don't really need a lot of reasons, do we? Seriously. We work hard to get under people's skin. As I read the seventh chapter of Mark, I realized there were two ways that I could take that expression. And before I tell you what those two ways are, I want us to read chapter 7. I'll back up and I'll tell you what those two ways are. And then we'll move on and see what it is you and I can learn from these encounters with Jesus. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. <coughs> and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did, the, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said... Sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So here's the thing. There are two ways that we can think about that title, Getting Under Jesus' Skin. One of them you can find on display in the first couple of verses that we read, the Pharisees gathered to him, along with scribes who had come out from Jerusalem. And you can see in this that there is a change in the approach of the Pharisees and the scribes and the people who had come out to Jesus. Up until now... If they had questions, it was pretty evident that their questions arose from plain old curiosity. They wanted to know things. Jesus was saying things in ways that they'd never heard before. We've already, in a couple of occasions throughout our trek through the Gospel of Mark, found that the people recognized that Jesus spoke as a man who has authority. Not like the Pharisees, not like the scribes, not like the teachers of the law, who would continually say, well, Moses said, or Elijah said, or Jeremiah said, Jesus would would tell them, I tell you this. In other words, on his own authority. And why not? Although they were slow to recognize it, it is becoming increasingly clear to those of us who read this, who Jesus is. He's God. He's the one, not only who wrote the Word, who is the embodiment of the Word. As John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And a little bit later he says, and the Word became flesh, And made his tabernacle, his tent among us. He dwelt among us so that we might see him. John says, no man has ever seen God, but God the Son has made him known. Up until now, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, when they came out and asked questions, it was because they wanted to know the answer. But now, now their approach has changed. The scribes have come out, the lawyers have come out to Jesus, along with the Pharisees, not to ask out of simple curiosity, but because they want to test Jesus. They want to get under his skin. You know what it's like to be in a conversation And to be asked a question, when it quickly becomes clear that the person asking the question doesn't really care what your answer is, they're just trying to cause you a problem. How many of you have been there? Yeah. How many of you have been the person asking the question? Yeah. The Pharisees the scribes, the teachers of the law, they wanted to get under Jesus' skin. But there's another way to take that title, isn't there? Haven't haven't you ever wished that you could probe the mind of God? I mean, in Isaiah, we are told... Nobody's ever been able to measure the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The psalmists speak of it over and over and over. Job talks about it. We would love to be able to get into the mind of God and understand things. Ron and I were talking about this a while ago, about some of the things that Paul has to say. Peter says that some of the things that Paul says are hard to understand, and because of that, people twist them. I said, I'm eager to get to heaven when I get my questions answered. But, since Paul couldn't explain it right the first time, I'm just going to ask Jesus. And that's what I mean about the second way. I want to get under the skin of Jesus. I want to know the way he thinks. I want to learn to think the way he thinks thinks I want to be able to look at a situation and say okay not just what would Jesus do but what would Jesus think before he did what he did how many of you would like to get under Jesus skin today a couple of us the rest of you go ahead keep your ears closed because apparently you don't want to get under Jesus skin And, and you know what? And I'm not, I'm not trying to mock any of you. Just stick with me. How you and I examine what we see in this passage today will mean that every one of us gets under Jesus' skin. It's just a question of in which way. Ooh. Ooh. Well, first things first here. Jesus shows that he cares more about what the Scriptures say and what the Scriptures mean than about how people have chosen to interpret the Scriptures. Say, well, aren't we then engaged in interpreting the Scriptures? yes but there are always people who get it right and there are always people who get it wrong <clears throat> there is a a battle in which we are engaged and it's not something that is really new. It's something that's been going on for thousands of years. As a matter of fact, it's been going on since the first two human beings were living in the Garden of Eden. About how to interpret what it is God says. You know the discussion that I'm talking about. You know when when God put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them, "You take care of the place." Take care of the vegetation. Take care of of all the animals. I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you authority. You do this. And we don't find a conversation between them and God. The only snippet of conversation we find is when God has made Adam and then he causes Adam to go to sleep. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. And God takes the rib from Adam closes it back up and from that rib he makes a woman and when Adam awakens and he sees the woman he says hubba hubba oh I know that's not exactly what it said in the Hebrew but I know men (laughs) I are one okay I know that was terrible grammar Adam took one look and he thought, yeah, finally, this one's mine. The next conversation that we hear where there is an interplay between people, between beings, comes not when God tells the man and the woman, you can eat any tree you want except that one. That's not the conversation I'm talking about. I'm talking about how to interpret what God has said. And the devil comes in and says, Did God really say? And then, in response to what the woman said, he said, Ah, that's not what God meant. God just knew that if you eat from that tree, you're going to become like he is. And in at least one respect, what the devil said was accurate, and it's what God would later echo when he curses the ground, and when he curses the serpent, and when he makes work something hard and unpleasant and he posts an angelic guard at the entrances to the garden with flaming swords flashing back and forth and says can't let them into the tree of life because now that they have eaten from that tree that I commanded them not to eat they have become like us knowing the difference between good and evil So from the very beginning, there has been a battle about how to interpret what God says. And when the scribes and the Pharisees come, it seems like such a simple thing. Why don't you guys wash their hands before they eat? I mean, we think that that's a pretty good idea, at least most of us do. I've seen the way some of you eat. when I was, my dad grew up on a farm, and my dad always loved gardening. He really wanted me to love gardening, and he educated me about it to the point that I was pretty good at gardening, but I never enjoyed it. I never enjoyed it. I can't tell you, though, how many times I've been with dad in the garden and watched him pull up a potato or grab a ripe tomato and just brush it off and eat it. And we didn't go up to the house to wash our hands now mind you I wasn't in the mood to eat raw potatoes and I've never liked tomatoes so none of that really appealed to me but when it was time to pick apples from the trees there have been a couple of times when I've pulled an apple down and and I would get out my penknife because I never liked the skin and I would peel the apple and then I would eat it. I didn't go up to the house to wash my hands. My hands have been all over that apple. I, we've had commercials about this, haven't we? Wash your hands, Roger. How many of you remember that? Oh man, you and I are old, Vicky. We're the only ones who remember that. It's a big deal. But you see, for the Jews, it arose from a discussion about what it means to be holy, what it means to be righteous, what it means to be pure. Not just physically, but internally. God had commanded his people that certain things would contaminate you, and you needed to be purified. For instance, Mark explains to his Gentile readers part of what's going on. The Jews had all kinds of rituals. When they came from the marketplace, they would wash their hands before they would eat. Now you say, why is that? It's just a marketplace. Well, you and I know now, marketplaces are dirty places. I mean, you walk into Sam's or to Walmart or a grocery store nowadays, and you'll find a little dispenser of wipes that you can use to clean off the handlebar or the the grocery cart, right? We know that public places can be dirty, but they were washing their hands not because of dirt and grit and grime. They were washing their hands because in the marketplace they had come into contact with a Gentile and they had been defiled. That word defiled doesn't mean that it's got a little bit of dust on it their hands. It means they have become ritually impure. They are not fit to go into the temple. And if you're not fit to go into the temple, you're not fit to eat food because you've been in contact with pagans. And the contamination of a pagan's sin is now on your hands. And it would get on your food. And if it went into you, it would defile you from the inside out. You would become unfit to go to the temple. So before you eat, you wash your hands. And they would wash the cups and the bowls and the saucers. And even the couches on which they reclined. Now, none of that in and of itself is a bad idea. Right? You ever wipe down the table? Well I hope you do. If not, please don't invite me to your house for a meal. <laughs> I to tell you, a longtime friend of my dad and a friend of mine, and he recently died just a couple of months ago. The name of Phil Young, was preaching a revival meeting one time, and was, uh, was invited to the home. Of one of the church members to eat, and it was a country home. And and when he walked in, not only did they have household pets, they had a a cat and a dog, but they left the doors to their place open, and one of the animals, one of the kinds of animals they raised were chickens. And when he walked in, there were a couple of chickens that had gotten up onto the table where they were going to eat. And when it was time to eat, they they shooed the chickens away, but they did not wipe off the table. Phil suddenly entered a fast. (laughs) We want things to be clean. And when God commanded his people to be clean, what he wasn't talking about was just on the outside. There were rules for worship. You don't come to worship God without being clean. You would take a bath. You would wear clean clothing. But the point was never, never just about getting rid of dirt. about whether or not you're pure on the inside. When God gave the law through Moses, the book of Exodus, you remember chapter 20 where God thunders out the Ten Commandments? And then he calls Moses up onto the mountain to receive the tablets of stone that God himself had carved those ten laws. Once the people have been punished for making an idol, a, a calf, out of gold, and once Moses has gone back up onto the mountain to carve out the blocks of stone... And God would again write the laws on them. God gives to Moses other laws to help interpret those Ten Commandments. See, the Ten Commandments, those are the laws. And the other things that follow, those are ways to interpret those laws. What do you do if your ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath? Can you get the ox out? Or do you leave it there? And we're supposed to honor the Sabbath. We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But is it better to leave the ox there? And maybe the ox would die. And then you wouldn't have a way to plow the fields. Or do you get the ox out? And God says, get the ox out. That's the way you interpret that. You ever really pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount? the biggest chunk of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus showing how to interpret the Ten Commandments. That's what the Beatitudes are about. That's what it's about when he talks about the ways in which we worship God. He says, you've heard it said thus and so, but I tell you this. Here he says, Moses gave to you a command that you're supposed to honor your father and your mother. He gave you a command that you're not supposed to to revile your father and your mother. But you have set up a tradition that if you say that whatever you would have given to your parents is korban. Korban was a Hebrew, an Aramaic word that means it's a gift to God. You cannot use it. You must not use it for any other purpose. And you know what these guys were doing? They were playing games with what God said. I don't want to help my father and my mother. I don't want to take care of them when they are aged and infirm. I don't want to be responsible for them in the way that they've been responsible for me, even though God clearly commands it. But, whatever I would have given to take care of my parents is now a gift to God. I can't use it for you. But he still retained possession of it and would use it in whatever way he said was an act of worship to God. You want to get under Jesus' skin? You take the commands of God and you set them aside for your interpretation of the commands of God and don't live up to what those commands actually mean and say but instead make it say what you want. The same old battle that has been in existence since the days of the Garden of Eden is still at play today when people will take the Word of God and they will intentionally misinterpret it so that they can do as the prophets condemned. And they turn the Word of God upside down and what God calls good, they call evil. And what God calls evil, they call good. you know what? I'm amazed by the second thing that we see, which is this. Jesus allowed himself to be tested. Somebody tries to get under your skin. Do you ever just want to cut them off? You ever turn around and walk the other way? Do you ever... Turn the conversation around and say, oh yeah, well, so's your mother. (laughs) I mean, after all, that's the way as human beings we try to do things, right? If somebody tries to get under our skin, we try to get under their skin. Jesus allowed himself to be tested. He showed the people what the word actually says and what the word actually means, but he did not engage with them in the way that you and I might have expected. If you or I were God in the flesh and somebody tried to get under my skin, that person would get a fast trip to hell. He had the power. He had the ability. This is someone who could speak to demons and get them to come out of human beings and go into a herd of hogs and go rushing down into the sea and be drowned. That's power. But he allowed himself to be tested. don't you wonder if maybe a part of what Jesus was doing in this was to give to us an idea of the way we ought to behave when people are testing us when they're trying to get under our skin especially when they're doing it in terms of talking about matters of faith matters of doctrine matters of differing perspectives on interpretation of the Scripture. Have you ever allowed a person to test you? Have you ever allowed a crowd of people who are opposed to you to test you? Did Jesus come back with some sharp rejoinders? Yeah. You heard the way I read what he said. Do do you... Do you have, as I do, a little bit of an idea that the way I phrased it is maybe the way that Jesus phrased it too? Have you ever, like Jesus, allowed people to test you when you know that it won't matter how you answer? They're going to take your words and twist them to suit themselves anyway. It's hard when people are intentionally trying to get under your skin. Can you then take that conversation and instead of allowing yourself only to be peeved, only to be upset, can you turn it and say, yes, but here's what God said. Here's what it meant. And can you do it without consigning them all to hell? Jesus did. Did he, did he quote to them from Isaiah and say, look, you all just don't get it. That's what he's saying. You all just don't get it. And even when the apostles came to him and said, we don't get it. <laughs> he says, yeah, you don't get it. Here's what I was talking about. I will confess to you that one of the greatest challenges that I have when I engage in, in discussions of theology, of how to interpret the Scriptures, I get excited and I get louder and my voice goes to a higher pitch because there is something within me that says I've got to show them that I'm right when what I should be thinking is we both need to understand what is right I have to work at being more gentle. I've been getting a kick out of one particular commercial lately about a play on Karate Kid. And, and the guy who ran Cobra Kai is now talking about being more gentle and calls it Koala Kai. Hey, more mercy. And I think, I need that kind of transformation because that's the way Jesus is. That's the way he does things. He's not afraid to say, you have missed. You, you don't understand. You, you just, you're out there. But then if people genuinely asked to understand, he would still say, you don't get this? He's not saying that the guys were not intelligent. He's saying, you've been with me this long and you haven't come to understand this? Last thing that I want you to see is this. The the last couple of episodes that we read about the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had a demon and then about the man who was deaf and he was mute. Jesus was frustrated at the high cost to people of the creation that had been broken by everybody's sins not just by Adam's sin and by Eve's sin but by everybody's sin do you know why he went to Tyre and Sidon it tells us in there do you know why he went to hide went into a house And and couldn't be hidden. immediately, people start coming to him. And who are coming to him? He's in Tyre and Sidon. You know where that is? That's in Lebanon. You know what Lebanon was? Pagan territory. Jesus had walked nearly 50 miles (laughs) outside of Jewish territory. Trying to find a place to get away. And to rest. And to be alone. Have you ever thought that maybe the best place to get away and rest as a Christian might be deep into the heart of pagan territory? Does that blow your mind or what? Away from the people who think they know what God means. And to get away just to commune with God? That's what Jesus wanted, but he couldn't get away. And after he casts out the demon and he goes down to the Decapolis, that's walking another 50 miles. Why? Well, he's in pagan territory again. What's he trying to do? He's trying to hide. He wants some time away, but as soon as he gets there, they find him, and they bring to him this man who is deaf and who is mute, and Jesus was frustrated at the high cost. People were so desperate for what it is God would give to them that they sought him out and would not leave him alone, and when he finally comes to heal this man who is deaf and mute it says that he sighed let me tell you something about that word sigh it doesn't just mean going (sighs) sometimes it's translated groan we're talking about something that is deeply internal he is really wearied by all of what he is finding Don't worry about him touching the man's ears. Don't worry about him spitting and then touching the man's tongue. You think that's gross? So do I. That's not the point. Jesus has something to offer you that is of such immeasurable cost that when you and I come to him just to fix the body it frustrates him. Because you see, you and I worry a lot about our bodies. We don't worry enough about our souls. The writer of the Hebrew Christian says that it is appointed unto all men once to die. And then comes the judgment. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5 talks about how the things which you and I can see with these eyes are not long-lasting. They are meant to go away. He says, we live in a tent that bit by bit is disappearing every day. And we long for a body not made by human hands, eternal in the heavens. What we really long for is not that we would be unclothed, just rid of what is deteriorating. We want to be fully clothed and in the presence of God and to not be ashamed. And we know there's a judgment. So, knowing there is a judgment, we try to persuade people Has your frustration with the condition of your soul and the souls of the people around you become so severe that you cannot be quiet about who Jesus is and what it is he offers? Are you like Paul? Do you see yourself compelled by the love of God that no longer seeing Jesus just as some magical miracle worker who can take care of the body, you realize he came to deal with our souls? Do you regard yourself now as an ambassador for God? As though God were speaking through you to the people around you? Or... Or will you get under Jesus' skin and frustrate him all the more by not telling people who he is? say, well, he told this guy not to tell people. Jesus told people before he died and raised from the dead not to tell people. After he was raised... He told them, tell everybody. Today, you and I are getting under Jesus' skin. I don't know which way you're doing it. Maybe you want to see just how frustrated you can make him. Maybe you want to needle him a little bit. Maybe you want to test him by saying, well, is this really what you meant? Or do you want to get under Jesus' skin and say, would you please tell me? Show me what you mean. and then I'll live it I don't want to frustrate Jesus anymore I want to know what he says I want to know what he means And I want to tell everybody about who he is. And the most important thing that he wants us to understand, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's pray. Father, I'm sorry. I feel like an awful lot of times throughout the course of my life, I've been more concerned with scoring theological points than really caring about whether we all understand and whether or not we all live according to your will. I can't begin to imagine how many times you have watched me and listened to me and been frustrated by me. Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for getting under your skin. Father, I'd really like to know what your word says. I'd really like to be able to see very clearly what it is you meant, what is at the heart. So please guide me. Please lead me. Help me to show what I've learned to the people around me so that together we can get under your skin in a really good way. I'm asking this not just as Charlie McGee but as your son. I'm asking you because of what Jesus has done not just for me but for all of us. I'm asking you because he said That if two or three of us agreed on something like this, you would hear us and you would do it. Well, Father, we are asking today in the authority of Jesus Christ and we look forward to learning from you. Amen.